Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. So good to have you here this morning. It's great to come together and just spend some time worshiping the Lord. February 2019, here we come. Are you ready for it? You sure? (laughs) January's in the history books. And speaking of February, yesterday on the 2nd, we celebrated our 27-year anniversary. 27 years as a church. Quite an accomplishment. And the verse of scripture that kept coming to me over and over again is found in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22, actually 22 and 23. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. The mercies of God are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. How many of you have learned the Lord is faithful? He's faithful. In fact, Moses said he's faithful to a thousand generations. And you get all the way to the book of Revelation chapter 19. And John the Beloved has a vision. He sees a rider on a white horse. Uh, That rider is Jesus, and he identifies him as faithful and true. That's one of his names. We serve a faithful God, and he's been faithful to us over the years, and I also want to thank you for your faithful support of Community Christian Church as well. Go ahead and give yourselves another round of applause. As you just heard in the video, um, we're beginning a brand new series today entitled Built to Last. And here's the very first thing you need to know, and I'm coming out of the starting gate fast and hard. Okay, we're going to get right down to business. Here's what you need to know. Nothing that lasts happens by accident. That is a profound statement. Nothing that lasts happens by accident. Now, a built-to-last project has intention and purpose stamped all over it. Built to last means you have longevity and the future in mind. It's the purposeful assembly or construction of something meaningful, something that will withstand a good degree of wear and tear. And I have a couple of examples for you this morning. The first one, the pyramids in Egypt. Built in 2500 BC, the pyramids are 4500 years old. Anyone been there or seen them up close and personal? Few of you? They're amazing. 500 feet high. They cover 13 acres of land. Some contain 2 million blocks. How many? 2 million blocks ranging in weight from 2 tons to 15 tons. And check this out, all four sides face the four cardinal points of the compass, north, south, east, and west, at the exact, precise, same angle. So I'll say it again. Amazing. Pyramids were built to last. Here's the next one, the Edinburgh Castle in Scotland. And I don't know uh, the correct way to pronounce it, I just know it's not pronounced the way it's spelled or the way it, it looks. This structure was built in 1100 A.D., on top of a dormant volcano called Castle Rock. Here's another one. The Great Wall of China, 
built over hundreds and hundreds of years through several different dynasties. The Great Wall of China is 13,000 miles long. Think about it, 13,000. They tell me you can see it from space. I've never been up there, I don't know for sure. Um, but that's what they say. Last one here, the Taj Mahal in India, built in 1600 AD. A sultan or a prince built it for his favorite wife. It must have had a couple of them. You may or may not know this, but the Taj Mahal is not a place to live. It's a place to be buried. It's actually a mausoleum, and it was this special gal's final resting place. So as you can see, all of these structures were built to last. They were designed and constructed with longevity in mind. And they all have stood the test of time. And from a spiritual standpoint, this is precisely what God desires for us. God is in the built-to-last business. And regarding everything that we put our hand to do, he wants us to think long-term, enduring, and lasting. And now I mean a commitment to eventually make it all the way to the finish line, not just down the road a piece, not just to make it the next day or the next week, but all the way to the end. And post-salvation, the very first quality that God is looking to build in us is a lasting faith. Say that. A lasting faith. In the people of God, God desires that we have a lasting faith. Not a faith that is tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Not a faith that is filled with questions and doubts and fears when we face trials of many kind. And certainly not a faith that wavers at the drop of a hat. God wants to establish in us a solid faith, a secure faith, a faith that cannot be shaken. And I cannot, in good faith, make that last statement without quoting Psalm 62. In Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2, David said, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone, he is my rock, my fortress, and my salvation. I will never be shaken. And I don't know if you do this from time to time, but you know, when I read the verses of Scripture and they become a part of me, especially this one here in the Psalms, I just kind of imagine and picture what it must have been like when David was writing that psalm or when he was meditating on it. I have to believe because the commentaries tell us that when he wrote Psalm 62, he was going through a very difficult time in his life. He was disheartened over some problems that he was having with his family. His son Absalom had rebelled against him. And I got to believe that when he wrote that last line, the emphasis was on never. I will never be shaken. I will never be shaken. And early on in his ministry, Jesus pretty much taught us the very same concept during the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, he adds a conclusion and the finishing touches to what has been called the greatest sermon ever preached in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. And here's what Jesus said. 
Therefore, everyone, how many? Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man or a wise woman who built his or her house on the rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Jesus said the house did not fall. Why? Because it was built to last. It was designed, it was created, it was constructed on purpose to weather the storms of life. So Jesus basically said the very foundation of every Christian house has to include faith. There has to be faith in the foundation. Faith is a requirement. Faith is essential. Faith is the absolute best way to maintain an ongoing and lasting relationship with God. And so let me give you a working definition for faith. When we talk about faith, when we use that word faith, there's, there's a lot of different definitions. There's probably a lot of things that come to mind. But let me just give you this working definition that will help you with this message today. Faith is believing. Say that. Faith is believing. Now say it like you believe it. Faith is believing. It's having a strong conviction, a firm belief, even when there's no tangible proof or validation. Even when you don't have the proof, you still believe it. Faith is trust, confidence, reliance, and devotion. One more time. Trust, confidence, reliance, and devotion. And Hebrews 11.1 gives us a definition, a biblical definition of faith, Let let this sink in. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's being certain of what we do not see. The King James Version says it's evidence of things not seen. Faith is evidence of things not seen. That means that faith is a belief that God is at work in my favor all the time. That he always cares about what I'm going through. That he's for me and not against me. That he loves me with an everlasting love. And he always has my best interest in mind, even when it doesn't appear that way. Like when God is nowhere to be found. My faith tells me that the character of God is such that he cares for me. And so it's faith that gets in the middle of a no-win situation and empowers us to keep our eyes on him. It's faith that works its way up through the darkness and against all odds continues to point us in the right direction. It's faith that puts a song of praise in our hearts and allows us to come into the sanctuary and worship him even when life isn't going our way. And when people who know our situations wonder how in the world are you standing? Well, you're standing by faith. You're standing because you put your trust in God. And Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without it, without faith, it's impossible to please God. In other words, the only way to put a smile on God's face, the only way to bring joy to his heart and give him any level of delight is to believe in him. Is to believe in him. And then follow Hebrews eleven six 6b, which says not only to believe that he is God, but he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
That's what faith is, my friend. When you're looking for evidence of who God is, when you're trying to figure out what's happening in a situation and why it's transpiring the way it is and it's not going the way you want it to, your faith gets right in the middle of all that. And your faith says to you and it says to me, he is God, period. He is God. There's no other God beside him. And he is a rewarder of those. He's a giver of gifts to those who put their trust in him. Now, while you think about that for just a minute, because I know you know that verse and it just, you know, go in and out. Let me ask you this. If you believe that God is and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him or put their trust in him, what do you think is the number one reward that God gives to people of faith? What is the number one gift that God gives to people who exercise faith? Hallelujah. That's a good one. That's the answer. More faith. More faith in God. More trust. More confidence in him. You see, faith begets faith. Like everything else, when you sow seeds of faith, guess what? It brings back a harvest. Faith will help you produce more faith. And when we exercise faith in a difficult situation, when we make the hard choice to trust God and to look to God, even when things aren't right, when it feels like the bottom's falling out, that experience of exercising that faith will increase your faith. It will actually bring more faith to you. And in the New Testament, hands down, other than Jesus himself, the one guy who faced more pain and suffering, more trials and tests, more frustrations and disappointments than anyone else, has to be Paul the Apostle. I mean, listen to a little of what he went through in the book of 2 Corinthians. And I mean, scattered throughout uh, the epistles, you read about some of the things that he went through, the tremendous suffering. In fact, Jesus said, right after he got saved, I'm going to show him how much he has to suffer for my namesake. He went through a lot. And we get a little glimpse of it here in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28. Paul said, right from the lips of Paul, I have worked harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That's 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods or sticks. Once I was pelted with stones, stoned and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concerns for all the churches. Can you believe this poor guy, what he went through? I mean, trial after trial after trial. He said, five times I was beaten within an inch of my life. He received the same beating that Jesus received on Good Friday times five. He was stoned and shipwrecked and sleepless and starved and stressed out in addition to having to deal with church people. 
I mean, he had his share of trouble. But you get to the very end of his life. And listen among some of his famous last words. As he's making his way from this life to the next, as he knows his earthly life is about to come to an end and he's facing eternity, in 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul declares, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I kept the faith. I don't know what those last four words do for you, but it speaks volumes to me. I kept the faith. Paul says, when I look back over my life, and that's what you do when you're about to die, when you know the the end is near, you start doing a little soul searching and evaluating. He says, when I look over the course of my life, I have the testimony that I kept the faith. In light of what we just read in 2 Corinthians and all the tests and trials that he went through and all the hardship that he endured, how in the world did he do that? How was he able to put one foot in front of the other every day of his Christian ministry and just keep his eyes fixed on God? How was he able to sustain all of the battles and all of the struggles that you and I face in this life and he never once was distracted? How? How could that be his sincere and honest testimony? I kept the faith. Well, I believe that he had memorized Hebrews 11.6. And every time he faced a hardship, going through his mind was that verse, and he would say it over and over again. He said, my number one desire is to please God. I want to bring honor to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I know how much he, he paid the price for me. I know how much he suffered for me, how much he loves me. I want to please my Lord and Savior. And the only way I can do that is, number one, to believe that he is, that he's God, he exists, he's number one, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently put their trust in him. I believe that was his source. I believe that was his fuel. It just kept him going. You see, as Paul continued to exercise faith, God continued to reward him with more faith. As Paul continued to exercise faith, God continued to reward him with more faith. And he just kept abounding in faith. It was like God was making these little divine faith deposits in Paul's account. And with the compound interest over the years, you get all the way to the end of Paul's life, you get to the end of that list of sufferings and and all the hardships that he went through. And Paul is a faith-wealthy man. And now I'm talking crazy rich. Just like those Asians. In the movie. Filthy rich in faith. Every time he exercised a little bit of faith, every time he said, I'm going to go with God regardless of the situation, every time he was diligent to pursue God when it was almost impossible, God added a little bit more faith to his heart. And here he is at the end of the, his life and say, you know what? I kept the faith because God just kept giving me more faith. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, consider it pure joy. What kind of joy? Pure, pure joy. Not just joy. Your average everyday joy. You know, 90 proof. 
100% pure proof of joy. Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So you don't want a lacking faith. You want a lasting faith. You want a faith that each and every day is built intentionally and purposely for the future. One that will survive and withstand the test of time in all of its elements. Okay, just before we make our way to the communion service this morning, I'd like to tell you one last story. The story is found in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. It's a familiar story to most of you. I want to read a few verses from Daniel chapter 3, but before we do that, I want to give you the backstory. So Daniel and three of his Jewish buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all became victims of the Babylonian captivity. At that time, they were living in Israel, and King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he marched against Jerusalem. He burned the city to the ground. He completely destroyed the temple, and he carried away captives. And these four guys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were selected to serve the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, in Babylon, in the royal court. And the reason that they were given this lofty assignment, the reason that they were selected is because the Bible tells us that these four young men were very handsome and they had no physical defects whatsoever and they all had an aptitude for learning. So not only were they good looking and in good shape, they were smart too. A rare combination for guys. <laughs> anyway, these four guys, they're being groomed for greatness in Babylon, and right about that time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, who's a little bit of a narcissist, he decides to build this incredible image of himself. He's going to build this, uh, this statue of gold. It's 90 feet high, it's 9 feet wide, and it's an exact replica of himself, King Nebuchadnezzar. And then after the statue's built, he gives the command throughout the entire kingdom of Babylon that whenever the music plays, whenever they hear the sound of music of any kind, immediately they're to bow down and worship the king. Doesn't matter what they're doing, what they're involved in. Whenever they hear music, any time of the day or night, they're on their knees worshiping King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, you know the story. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're God-fearing men. They're from Israel. They're not going to bow down to a false god. I mean, they're descendants of, of Aaron and Moses. They... They have the commandments of God in their DNA. They're only going to worship Jehovah. They're not worshiping anyone else. And so they decide that they're not going to obey the king. Again, the penalty for disobedience was death. But they said, we're not bowing. And of all the rotten luck, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get caught. So let's pick up the story here in Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Furious with rage... I mean, super ticked. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Can't believe it. But is it true you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? I'm going to give you a break, he said. When you hear the sound of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. 
But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, I love this. We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. If I could use just one word to describe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's response to the king, other than the word guts, it would have to be faith. Do you know how much faith in God it takes to stand in front of the king like that and make that kind of a declaration? Friend, their lives were on the line. We read it now and we say it's a good story. They were facing certain death. And they exercised a tremendous amount of faith in their God. And here is faith statement number one that these three outstanding young men made to the king. Daniel 3.17. The God we serve is able to save us and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. They said God is able and he'll do it. We know that he's going to come through for us. There's no doubt in our mind. We know that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. He is God alone. He is God who favors us. He's worthy of all of our praise. He's for us and not against us. Our God is able and he will do it. Then comes faith statement number two. And when you look at it, it actually takes more faith to say what they said the second time around. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 18. But even if he doesn't save us, he's still God and we're not bowing. Even if God doesn't come through for us, it doesn't matter. Our faith in God isn't changing. The circumstances are not going to alter the way that we believe in God or the amount of faith that we have in God. He's God, he's able to do it, and he's going to do it. But if he doesn't, he's still God. And we're still going to serve him. And we're not going to bow before you. What a declaration. It's a declaration of faith. It's a faith that's built to last. It's not going to crumble, it's not going to fall. It's never going to be shaken. And so your homework assignment for this week, pretty simple, it's just memorization. I want you to memorize these two faith statements. God is able and he will do it. Say it. God is able and he will do it. And believe that. God is able and he will do it. Second statement, even if he doesn't. Let me hear it. He's still God. And friends, it's not a contradiction. It's a tremendous Expression of faith. It's a revelation of what's going on in your heart 
because we are so stuck on action. God doing what we tell him to do. God coming through for us the way that we want him to. Thinking that when we have faith and we believe that he's able, if he doesn't, then he's disappointed us. This is a two-part equation to the entire faith answer. God is able, and he will do it. Even if he doesn't, he's still God. Let's bow our heads for Prepare for communion. Father, we just thank you right now for these next few minutes. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather around the communion table and right now our focus is what Jesus did for us on the cross. During the communion service, Jesus invited us to remember his death each and every time we hold the bread and the cup in our hands. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, we do that right now. We take a minute and we just search our hearts because, Lord, we want to have a faith in you. Jesus, we want to believe in everything that you did exactly the way you did it. And so, Lord, I'm just asking right now for your anointing, your power, your life to fill this congregation and every member, Lord, and as we open our hearts to you. I know, Lord, that this can be a life-changing, life-altering moment for us. And so we just give you our attention and our time right now. Amen. Betrayed that he took bread and after giving thanks he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me then after supper was ended Jesus took the cup, again he gave thanks he passed the cup to his disciples and said this cup is a new covenant in my blood, do this in remembrance of me for every time you do this as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup you declare the Lord's death till he comes. Now, when you read through the Gospels, and all of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all record the communion service that Jesus had with his disciples when they were sharing the Passover together. A short time after Jesus gave the cup and uh, the, the bread and passed the cup to his disciples, he told them that he was going to be arrested that night and when the temple guards came to arrest them, they would all flee. And out of fear, they would all run. They would abandon him. And it was Simon Peter who raised his hand, said, uh, Master, I don't think so. Because even if everyone else bails on you, even if they all are so afraid that they leave you, you can count on me to be by your side. I am not going anywhere, and not only will I fight for you, I'm prepared and ready to go to my death if need be. Now, what you need to know is just a couple of weeks or maybe a couple of months before Jesus shared this final Passover with his disciples, Jesus had a prophetic word for Peter. And he said, Peter, Satan has desire to sift you 
uh, he's desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. And the prayer that the Holy Spirit of God has led me to pray for you, Peter, is that your faith will not fail. And so, Peter, I want you to know I've been praying for your faith. I've been praying that you do not have a crisis of faith and your faith will not fail you. And Peter needed Jesus to be praying that way. He absolutely needed those prayers. Because not only did Simon Peter, in fulfillment to what Jesus had predicted, run out and leave him, he took it to the next level. And he denied that he even knew Jesus three times. And so his behavior and actions, coupled with the fact that Jesus was crucified and died, it led to Peter losing his faith. Peter had a crisis of faith. Read through the Gospels, and you'll find out that shortly after Jesus died, for the first time in three and a half years, Peter went back to fishing, turned his back on the ministry, says, I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. The whole three and a half years that he walked with Jesus after he left his fishing enterprise and business, there's not one mention in the scripture of Peter ever going into the boat to fish. And now here it is, after he denied Jesus, after Jesus died, all of this disappointment, this chaos, and he has a crisis of faith. And Jesus had to go to him, a resurrected Jesus, and reach out to him and, and restore him back to the ministry. And as you well know, Simon Peter became a powerhouse for the church and the kingdom of God. The prayer that Jesus prayed for Peter, that his faith would not fail, is the same prayer that he prays for us on a daily basis. The scripture tells us that he regularly, daily, comes before the throne of God making intercession for us. Jesus does. Because he knows how susceptible we are to a faith crisis. He knows how easy it is for the enemy to come and lie to us and to whisper doubt and fear and worry in our ears. And it's just such a great temptation for us to say that's it. I can't do this anymore. I expected God to come through, and he just didn't. And Jesus continues to pray for your faith. He continues to pray for my faith. He prays that our faith would not fail. Even if it gets a little thin from time to time, he's holding on. He's holding on for us. And so just before we take the bread and the cup, I'd like you to bow your heads. Uh, for a moment and, and you know even if, if you feel comfortable just close your eyes we're not going to do anything funny here with your eyes closed I want you to repeat a few things after me in fact repeat everything I say God I know you're able God I know you're able and I know you'll do it I know you can heal my body I know you can restore my joy. I know you can give me a gift of peace. I know you can forgive my sins. I know you can restore my marriage. I know you can save my children and family members. God, I know you are able. 
And this morning, I believe you can do it. But even if you don't, even if you don't, you're still God. And I will not bow. All right, let me pray for you. Father, I pray for the faith of every person in this room. For those, Lord, whose faith is flying high at the moment because we know how easily the enemy can come and ground us. But Lord, heavy on my heart are the people right now who are going through somewhat of a faith crisis. Whether it's a disappointment over what God didn't do or it's a little bit of guilt and shame over what we have done. I pray, Lord God, that we would be able to receive your prayers, the prayers that you pray on a daily basis, on a regular basis, that our faith would not fail. Lord, I'm praying that for my brothers and sisters this morning. I pray, Lord God, for those who are going through that thin crisis of faith, that you would raise them back up. You would reach out to them this morning. Lord, that a, a part of the whole faith package is the dual equation that you are God and you're able. And even if you choose not to do it, you're still God and we're not going to bow. I pray, Lord God, that you would raise up the faith of my brothers and sisters in Christ today, that we would be built up in our most holy faith, that we could see you, Lord God, that our eyes could be focused on you, and that, Lord, right now we could say, I kept the faith. I kept the faith because I continue to maintain a faith that was built to last. And I believe that every time I make that decision, the rewarder is coming with another measure of faith. Add that measure today, Lord. Lift us out of that place of discouragement, that place of despair, the place of condemnation and guilt. Lord, your word says there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, the things that we've done that are not right, the things that we've thought, our own personal denials of you, Lord, help us to recover from that. Just like you reached out to Simon, reach out to everyone this morning. Take our hands in yours because that's really what you did when you went to the cross. You reached out and you drew us to yourself. Thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. Let's take the bread together and then the cup. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.